Well, mine's, mine's much simpler. Once all of my friends and colleagues found out that I was crazy, they said, you should be a psychiatrist. <laughs> yes. But since I couldn't be a psychiatrist, they said, well, we'll just make you a professor of psychiatry instead. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a, one way. That's one way to keep an eye on you. That's one way to keep you closer and keep an eye Absolutely. on you. <laughs> this podcast is for general informational purposes only and represents the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graff, Dr. Suzanne Mignon, and the guests. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services and should not be taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe, but more importantly leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Reviews not only help us grow listeners, but also help us grow as a show, improve our content, and make us better. Welcome back to the Psych Effect Podcast. (laughs) We're starting off great. Steph is on his couch because, you know, things. Uh, Welcome back, Maria. It's the never too late post-game show for the Super Bowl because, of course, you still care, even though we're a week late, right? Sure. I still care. You still care, right? We all care care, because we all miss football, so we're good. It's still relevant. It's still still football season, right? Because we're all going to pick. It's been winner. one week and we're, we're in withdrawal. That's right. We're all going to pick the winner for next year, right? Yeah. It's going to be, right? Because we saw the Super Bowl logo. We, we did. It's, it's be. between the Chiefs Dolphins. and the Seahawks, apparently. Yeah. There was no right. purple. There was no purple in the Super Bowl right away. Purple? I didn't see I any said, purple said that logo was fake. It, it was fake. Right. There was, it was only <laughs> red and gold and white in the real Super Bowl. Anyway, remember Maria picked the props, you know, from last week, and we're going to not going to bother with it. She won some, she lost some, who cares? The point is, Travis Kelsey didn't propose to Taylor Swift, and that's no all we really care invasion. about. And there was no alien, no alien no invasion. No alien invasion. Those are the things we really cared about, right? It was very disappointing. Very disappointing. I, I actually very think the alien is Kelsey. That's what I think. But did you see his speech? Did you see his speech? Did you see speech? No. Celebrating? Oh my god! Yeah. Go I saw him fluming the 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 Lombardi Trophy in the parade where he was drinking he was beer. Singing. He was really he, he, he wasted. Was, he, was, he was wasted. Yes. Really wasted. Yeah. But but what I wanted to do here, and I do want to show you this and ask you what you thought of this. What did you think? This right here. Thank you for oh, coming, baby. I can't believe that. Thank I you. I can't believe you. I Thank you for the support. You Thank you for that? coming. <laughs> Thank you for making it across that way across the world. You're the best, baby. Oh my god. The absolute best. Was it electric? It was unbelievable. He did not tell her he loves her. She didn't tell him she loves him. That's my take. What's your take? That was sweet. Was it sweet or was that, that was just very sweet. Was that set up? Oh, corporate. Well, I, I'm I mean, teasing. They're, they're still dating. I mean, they they're were blowing kisses at each other from the podium. I mean, I mean, they were what? They blew kisses to I each mean, other from the podium. Oh. <laughs> I mean, listen to what they're saying. 
She didn't see him immediately after the game. This is after they got off the podium. So uh, we're not going to just take a clip and say he didn't say I love you. He didn't say this because they had an exchange no, but before. Look at what they said on camera. Thank you for making it halfway across the world. You're thinking that's not genuine? Was it electric? How did it was unbelievable? Was it so electric? That's the first thing, that's the first thing you asked your girlfriend. I mean, that's a was weird thing electric? to say. Take right. it for what it is. No, I think electric means the performance. I mean, because we talk about the stadiums being electric and the fans yeah. being electric and the, everything being electric. I say, let's stop reading into this. Let it be right. what it is. Yeah. Shake it off, um, Dimitri. It's okay. Shake it off. Shake it off. Pun intended. So, so we should just give them a blank check. Is what you're saying? I'm just. Yeah, I'm teasing. Let, let, let them have the light. That's fine. That, that's yeah. really the only two songs yeah, I know. I know you know. I know you know more. Don't, I don't. Don't you dare. The lie. thing is, I follow her on Instagram. I actually really like her. I'm just saying, it just seems a little You've contrived. Liked her forever. Oh, she's, been wait, she's been my girl forever, but you, now she can't be my girl. No, she's. You've been a sweet. Wait, wait. You've been a sweet this entire time. This is what I've popped it up to. That's it. Yeah, been I've been a Swifty. I've been a Swifty wow. this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Years. 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 I did not pay you as a Swifty, man. Is that yeah. an image, an altered image of Taylor Swift on your t shirts and YouTube? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You, I don't want anyone. You better watch out, Suzanne. They're going to come after you. I, hey, for the record, I did not say that. That's all her. Come after her, not me. That's harsh. I'm, I'm a Swifty, okay? Well, then and, just throwing your then friends leave and them. I'm throwing her under the bus. Then leave them alone. You're a bad person. <laughs> I'm just saying, I just, all I did was ask a question. And, you know, look, you know, and just think about this for a second. You know, um, maybe one Sunday, you know, they wake up together, you know, Travis rolls over. And ask they have a nice, they have a nice, they have a nice, uh, you know, moment together, and you know, 30 seconds later or so, you hear this. Uh, how about that D, baby? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get you know, it. I don't get it. I don't get it. I you don't get it? get it. You don't get no, it at all. No, please explain. No, please explain to me. Okay. Well, let me explain to you. Yes, some days, once every two to three months, I roll over. In the bed and 10-20 seconds later <laughs> Maria hears this uh, how about that D baby TMI Dimitri TMI that's that's what happens that that's what happens yeah D is for Dimitri D D is for <laughs> D, D is for D is for Dimitri that's right D is for no no D is for is for degenerate <laughs> oh, oh, we got cranky stuff today. D, D is for. Uh, how about that D, baby? That's what D is for. Um, the other thing, uh, the other thing we uh we. Uh, how about that D, baby? <laughs> that is that is never going away. By the way, <laughs> um, the other thing we we did last time that she was on is we had her pick these prop bets and she made a couple of, uh, she made a couple of, uh, statements that she could, uh, she could pick out these quarterbacks. So, uh, mm -hmm. she said this, 
Um, but we asked her. We asked her this. So um, let me play this clip from uh, last week here. Do you know who Brock Purdy is? Yeah. Well, by uh, the the process of elimination. Do you know what he looks like? Do you know what he looks like? If I put a picture up, if I put a picture up of him right now, could you tell me the difference between? Nope. If I put Patrick Mahomes here and Brock Purdy here, I know what Patrick Mahomes looks like because he's in those commercials. So you know him (laughs) from the commercial. I know him from the. Are they the insurance commercials? That's a good answer. I don't think I don't think Birdie's an e-commercial. I don't think he's any. I mean, no, I, I he needs to. Him. If he wants, I mean, if he wants people to know. So if I put up like five pictures of, <coughs> of white guys, uh-huh. would you be able to pick him out of a lineup? Nope. No. So when we bring you back for like the post-game show of the Super Bowl, after you've we watched him in the Super Bowl, we're gonna have a lineup of. Well, of, then I will. <laughs> She's going to watch the game. Because I'll be paying attention. Hello. Did you pay attention? You know, I tried. I actually made it a conscious effort to look at him. To look at his face. So now you know what his face looks like. This was was a week ago. It was. Well, let me just ask, uh, was that putting herself in a corner or was this putting herself in a corner? Who will finish with more rushing yards? Mm. Christian McCaffrey or Isaiah Pachinko? You of course know these two running backs in and out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can definitely. You know, identify. you know their body of work in the year. Yes, and I can definitely identify them if I see a picture with their names in the, the midst of other people. Let's see that. Well, Maria, <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing what your mouth can get you into, I, isn't it? I forgot to pay oh, attention you, to that. You gotta what? stop. You've got you know, to stop. you know what? You gotta stop. When you, <laughs> you gotta stop. maybe it can get you into. <laughs> Uh, how about that D, baby? <laughs> but it's going to get you into a lineup is what it's going to get you into today. So let's um, let's start off with uh, picking out Patrick Mahomes, huh? Okay, that's easy. So um, let's do this here. Um, let's uh, pull up a picture of Patrick Mahomes with a bunch of other really good-looking young men. Oh. Oh, this is easy. So, who are these young studs? Um, I don't know, but which, Patrick, which, I know who Pat, I know. Which Patrick. one of these five young, good-looking studs is Patrick Mahomes? Number four. Is she right, guys? Yes, she yes, is she right. is. She is right. Can you name any of the other guys, by the way? Do you know Do you know any of the other guys? Uh, nope. Nope. Really? <laughs> <laughs> number five? Really? Not even number five? You can't even name number five? Nope. <laughs> How many can you guys name, by the way? Can you guys name all of them? I can do four. I Which do... four? Two through five. Middle? Yeah, I mean, two, three, two through three, five. I forgot, I forgot, Who the hell has number three. one? This is bad. Well, that's number one for 10 years ago. All right, so number one is... Is Blake that why? Is Blake Griffin, okay. right? All right. You guys know number two? Yeah, that's Odell. Yeah. Odell Beckham, right? You guys know number three? Lamar. Nope. No? No. Should I no? put my glasses on then? <laughs> we'll put your glasses on. He's a, he's a quarterback. The he's, he's, he's a quarterback. quarterback. He is a quarterback, yeah. Wasn't he MVP that's, last year? That's Justin Fields. Oh. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Is it Justin number Fields? five, that's Justin yes, yes, Fields. Yes, yes. 
And number five is Steph Curry. Oh. Steph Curry. Oh. Good to know. Good to Good. know. You, you got this. Do the basketball. Sure, if, if, if you had showed him, if you had showed him next to his wife, I'm sure she would have guessed it. Who? Steph Curry. Who? Oh, you know? Steph. <laughs> no. She she has a cooking show. I think. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not insinuating no. that. Mary Apparently not. Apparently no. not. No. Okay. Nada. All right. So let's do um, let's do Brock Purdy. Okay. This is this is the money this one right here. It. This is this. I'm is nervous. It. Brock Purdy, tell me which one of these young studs is oh, it? Lord, have is it hot with glasses? Oh my goodness! Tell me, is it is it young and single? Oh my! Tell me, is it everybody wants to be a comedian? It's okay to try to be funny. Is it ooh beard man? I love the scruff. Or is it bro? I'm listening to music, but I'm walking away. These oh young studs. I tell me, tell me, doesn't this just oh, make your Lord. heart palpable and just palpable? That you know what I'm talking about. Just palpate with with sexy energy. Okay. Which one of these sexy young men? I bet you she'd have Brock an answer Purdy. if they asked her how, <laughs> how about I, that. Too, you know, <laughs> I'm going to have to say number three. Number three. Do you want to help her out, guys? Love, it's not number three. That's what? the Gronk. That's Gronkowski. Yeah, that's Gronkowski. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you don't recognize him from the from the Catflack commercial. I'm saying right. he must. So, be. He's familiar to me. Maria. So, like, think about how they, <laughs> if you've heard how they talk about Brock Purdy. No, young he is, young he is, and what a little boy he looks like. Number two. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Could not be number five, but number two. That guy, number, number two, five. almost won a Super Bowl. Yep. Good for him. Do you, he tried really Do you know hard. who number one is? No. Good for you. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is he a football player? No, um, he's a movie. All... He's a movie. Uh, he's an actor. No. They, what? Yeah. <laughs> He will he be. Looks like, he, he looks like he looks like he's like I don't know walking around like he was Kenya Reeves. Like he he like will him. be an actor one day. I mean, is he? Is this? We've we've begged him to come on our show. Yes, we have. Oh, oh, is it? Um, oh, what's his name? He does a lot of I don't know mushrooms, please, kind of things. Cheese, yeah. please, sir, come on our show. Cheese, also would be much happy. Also known okay, as, as just, a caveman. And I just can't so, think of his name. So that's Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Number three is Gronkowski. Okay. Number four, he just got busted for PEDs. He did. He did. And got cut. Yep. Huh. That's uh, Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy and number G. five is is a local is a local man. Local he, hero. He's. Local, a local yes, hero, a local as hero. a matter of fact, he is a local yes. hero. I just, I felt it. He's a local Tell hero. Me. Tell me. He's a, he's walking around Miami as a he hero. Is a he, he is a local hero. His name is Tyler Sir. Hero. Sir. <laughs> His name is literally Tyro Hero. Tyler <laughs> Hero. <laughs> he is a local hero. <laughs> Place for the Miami. Yeah, you're killing us. Wow, wow. <laughs> that wait. That and was you've been planned. to a heat game before? No. 
Wow. No, I he thought the kids have never. Wow. To what? What game? Uh, he, uh, Miami. Not heat yet. Game. Not yet. Not yet. I thought you know. I lie. I've been to a Heat game in like 2005. No, Hero wasn't there. No, Hero. I think he was like born. two years old back then. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I went when I was in graduate school. I remember yeah, that. I so. think I left early. That's funny that you said he was a local hero. That was he literally funny. is that, a local that's hero. Called, that, that's called synchrony. Copremonition. Synchrony? Yeah, yeah, very good. All right, so our last lineup is the is the running back lineup. And what we're going to do here no. is you've got to pick two out of six. No. You've got to pick Isaiah Pacheco no. and Christian McCaffrey out of six men. I'm not going to do Out of well. six sexy, sexy men. All right. Look at these guys. Oh. Look at these guys right here. I don't know. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, so. I know it's not number one because no. I know number one. Who is number one? I know him. I just know. Michael Beckham. I just know. Do you know who that? Do you know his name? Um. <laughs> Some people do no. say he is okay. an alien. Oh, um. David Beckham. Awesome. <laughs> okay. And who's number two? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Jason Derulo. Number three looks familiar. Number three looks familiar. All right. Yeah. All right. So who are we looking for? We're again? looking for Isaiah Pacheco, the running back for the Chiefs, and Christian McCaffrey, the running back. For the 49ers. I, you said you could definitely identify in a lineup of other men. Uh, I have no idea. I, take a guess. You have take a guess. It's it's you guess right. Okay. Um I don't know. Number three? Is who? I don't know. Well you've only got two names to pick from. <laughs> what are the names again? Isaiah Pacheco and Christian McCaffrey. Let's say he's Pacheco. All right. Excellent wow. work. <laughs> Casino. That's him. That's what? good. You're better casino. than a casino. Oh, <laughs> yeah, good yeah. job. Let's go to Hard Rock. And which, <laughs> Let's go to Hard Rock. And which one is uh, McCaffrey? Um, I don't know. Number six. Yes. What? Nice. Oh, All right. Where are we going tonight? We're going to the Hard Rock. Yes. Hey, we're going to Hard Rock. We are rock. going to the Hard Rock. We're going to pull some. We're going to pull some lovers. This is happening. That's right. Maybe we'll get hard. There you go. Maybe we'll get Hard Rock to sponsor us. Can you name number four? He looks familiar too. He does look familiar, right? He's old. Durr. Can you name him? No. What about number five? Is he a dolphin? He's a human. He's. he's <laughs> does he play? Does he play? <laughs> he's a human. Awesome. Does he play for the dolphins? He does. Very good. All right. I mean, that's as, this is as good as this it's going to get. This is, this is, this is excellent, <laughs> by the way. This is as good as this it's going to really get. This is really good. You're very warm. You're getting warm. So he's not he's not a dolphin, but he plays for the dolphins. He's not a quarterback. <laughs> but he's called by another animal. Player. He is a human that plays for the team, the Miami Dolphins, yes. Is it Waddle? Wow, that's very close. I mean, that's... Well, I'm just trying to... Look... Look, you went, you it's went not bad, penguin. right? She went with the penguin. It's Tyree Kill, yes. Okay, that she was my number. Because I only know Waddle and Hill. Really, you don't know Tua? And Tua, and that's okay. and that is it. And you don't know number two? I do not. Tua number two is my white whale. Yes, is my white whale. Oh, that's Antonio Brown. Favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I need to have him on the podcast. He's my white whale. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Good job. So, good job. That's fantastic. Good job. 
That is actually fantastic. Yeah. So is it going to be Blackjack tonight or the, the roulette table or going to be tonight? It doesn't matter. She is on fire. I think, we'll play, I think, I think it's going to be poker. I think it's it's going to be poker. poker. We're going to go into the high stakes poker table and she's going to crush. She's going to crush uh, uh, Texas Hold'em. Mm-hmm. All of those guys. No, no chance. Um, she's going to crush them. Anyway, awesome. Thank you. That's our uh, post-game right. show. We will have her back probably for, I don't know, March Madness. You can pick the, the more you know what March Madness is, of course, right? It has to do with basketball. That's I right. Know. That's right. You so she'll pick the March like... Madness bracket, right? The Final Four and maybe the NBA Finals and uh, the NHL. And, I have a question. I have then... a question. Step, step, step. Please do. Question. Can I go back to my nap? Yes, 99, Steph. Thank you. Nighty night, Steph. Um, Barry Krakow, uh, our sleep expert, is next. Oh, that's perfect. perfect. That's convenient. That is perfect. Our guest today, Dr. Barry Krakow, MD, is a board certified is board certified in internal medicine and sleep medicine and has worked in sleep research and and clinical sleep medicine for more than 30 years. He's written a book titled Life-Saving Sleep, New Horizons in Mental Health Treatment, and he's currently a professor of psychiatry and behavioral health in the Department of Psychiatry at Mercer University School of Medicine in Georgia. And I got to ask you, Dr. Krakow, how did an internist and sleep medicine doctor end up as a professor of psychiatry and behavioral health? Is it just like if you're a doctor for 30 years, you can just end up in any department because I have friends in med peds. And if I just work as a psychiatrist for 30 years, can I just go and take over their department? Cause I'm so ready to do that. Well, mine's, mine's much simpler. Once all of my friends and colleagues found out that I was crazy, they said, you should be a psychiatrist. <laughs> yes. But since I couldn't be a psychiatrist, they said, well, we'll just make you a professor of psychiatry instead. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, one way, that's one way to keep an eye on you. Right? you that's one way to keep you closer and to keep an eye Absolutely. on you. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Let's start simple. All right. Um, you're a sleep medicine doctor. Explain to people what the sleep cycle is and how it gets disrupted in some of the worst sleep disorders. So I would I would reframe that question a little bit because in the field of mental health, which is what through divine providence, I ended up being involved in helping all of these mental health patients with sleep disorders dating back to 1988. I actually began my work with psychiatrists at the University of New Mexico Department of Psychiatry, and they were developing a treatment for chronic nightmares. So literally from 1988 to the present, all of my work has been working with mental health patients who have sleep disorders. And what we learned was that the sleep cycle, as, the, as you've put it, is highly disrupted and fragmented in these individuals. And it's such a big deal because Unfortunately, the mental health community, psychiatry, psychology, and other therapists, they're trained in a very different way to think about sleep. It's behavioral, it's neurotransmitters, it's psychological. It's something that you deal with by changing a behavior or giving a medication. And for this sleep cycle that you're talking about, where people have to go into various stages of sleep 
eventually going into deep sleep, going into REM sleep, they never actually get to these stages because the cycle is so disrupted, not by the things that mental health professionals are trained to see. The actual, and uh, we say this word in Hebrew, emes, the, the truth. The truth is that physical, physiological things are the big player in mental health patients having sleep problems. And this is bringing psychiatry and psychology to a crossroads, which is going to be huge in that they're going to have to decide, are they willing to actually deeply invest time, energy, and thought into understanding how these sleep problems actually work? So to actually answer your question seriously from the beginning, um, I've been developing a sleep program in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health over at Gateway Behavioral Health, which has its own psychiatry residency training program. So we're teaching psychiatry residents how to look at sleep very differently and not go down this pathway of thinking about its medications, its behavioral interventions. It's actually something deeply involved in the sleep fragmentation, the EEG. And to see that, you have to do what's called a sleep test. And once you do that, and once you gather that data, you learn very quickly. And this is what we learned in the early to mid-1990s, 30 years ago, that the largest number of people who walk in the door to a mental health facility who are saying, I can't sleep, usually have two things going on. One, they've tried multiple treatments for their sleep that don't work. And two, when they get sleep tested, they have sleep apnea. Well, I'm glad you said all that because when I get patients, when I was trained, uh, when people come in and they say they can't sleep, it's they say that as part of a mental health disorder, depression, anxiety. And if that doesn't fix, if the treatment for depression, anxiety doesn't fix their sleep, then they end up with all these kinds of sleep medications. At the time that I was trained, became Ambien. Then Ambien became Sonata. Sonata became Lunesta. Um, now they come in, they're already on all of those things. Now it's Belsomra, it's uh, Devego, Cuvivic uh, is now the new one. So uh, I sent you a study that you saw um, that was done, I believe it was done recently. It was a huge uh, review of all of the medications that are given for sleep, even ones that aren't sleep medicines necessarily right. like Trazodone. Right. And there was no good recommendations. All of the recommendations were weak. That's right. So why? Um, do you know why? What do you What do you make of that study? No, no, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's like that's that's the problem. The reason the recommendations are weak is because the medications actually only work very well for select patients, and they do work sometimes for certain people. But they're weak because it's called begging the question. The premise of what they're doing is completely off. I'm I'm saying there's a revolution going on in the field of sleep medicine, and we we and a few others are some of the leaders. This was first discovered in 1973. 1973, somebody first discovered Dr. Christian Guimano, the most famous recognized sleep researcher in the world until he passed in 2019. He recognized that sleep apnea was linked to insomnia. And so we carried on that research starting in the 1990s. We publish more on it than anybody else in the, in the, on the planet. And it demonstrates, and the best example where we picked this up so quickly, is that PTSD patients whose sleep problems are persisting and not responding to therapies, whether it's 
exposure therapy, whether it's medications, those people have between 80 and 90% chance of having sleep apnea. And this sleep apnea problem is destroying their sleep quality such that they don't go into delta sleep or their REM sleep is fragmented. And everybody who's looking at them when you're sitting across the table from this PTSD patient treating them, you keep thinking because you're trained, oh, it's psychological. You know, why didn't the exposure therapy work? Okay, well, let's use this medication. No, that's wrong. And we published a paper 10 years ago in Mayo Clinic Proceedings showing this. We had 1,200 people coming in to our facility during in this chart review that we looked at, and 900 of them met a criteria called drug failure, meaning that they're trying to use drugs to treat insomnia. It didn't work. Of those 900 people, 860 of them had sleep disordered breathing, whether it was sleep apnea or upper airway resistance. And what I'm saying is this fragmentation is a physiological process that absolutely has to be tested for, diagnosed, and treated if you want that PTSD patient to get better. Because if that patient has PTSD and they have sleep apnea, the chances of them getting better are very low. And in fact, research has already been published by Dr. Christopher Rice at Long Beach VA showing if you just examine a group of PTSD patients getting exposure therapy, the PTSD patients with sleep apnea that are treated for sleep apnea, those are your responders. The people with untreated sleep apnea don't respond to exposure therapy. So this is a monumental shift that's going to be occurring in the field if people are willing to embrace it. So when do you recommend getting a sleep study when they come in or do you recommend after they fail medication? That's a great question. And it's why we're developing this program at Gateway Behavioral Health, where we want to try to put some type of sleep testing program into the actual residency program so that we can test immediately. Most of the people who have these problems could be diagnosed the first time they walk in the door to see you, the very first time. Now, that's actually unfortunate because the first time they come in to see you, they've probably already seen 10 other people. They've probably already tried five other treatments. So even before they saw you, they could have been tested. That's how early this could be done. That's how big a deal this is. Instead, what happens is people throw all the drugs at them for years. I've seen people on these drugs for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Nobody ever asked them questions how to discern, well, could something physical be going on? It just isn't trained. So if you're not trained, how would you think to do that? I get a lot of pushback when I, because I should just sleep studies all the time. That's but great. people, people just want their drug. So how do you convince someone that they need this test that now they have to go see a sleep medicine doctor or they have to do work now to go find a neurologist or pulmonologist? Um, you know, oh, I, I'm not just going to give you your Ambien anymore. You've got to go do work and go because this requires them to put an effort. Yeah, Which may delay point. it even more in their eyes because sometimes to get appointments with some yeah. of these specialists, it's Especially a couple of months, area. three yeah, months, months out, whatever yes. it is. Some is six months. So so at the risk of so sounding overly self-serving, they could just buy life-saving sleep. 
and they could read all about it and they would go, oh, wow, I see where I need to go. So the point you're making is a very interesting one, which I believe can be turned around in favor of a different point of view regarding patient care, which is this. How many patients in psychiatry who have depression love to hear that they have a thyroid problem and that the thyroid problem is causing the depression? And they're not really depressed. It's not very many. No, it's very rare. uh, No, 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 I know that. I know that. But what I'm saying is think about that patient's mindset. Right. It's it's, it's something dismissive. Right. And so if you tell somebody, by the way, your PTSD is not just because you were traumatized. You don't have just all these mental health things going on. You have something physical that is going on with your body. It is actually causing brain damage. And that brain damage is making everything worse. And there's something you can do about that. And yes, it takes some extra effort and time and so forth. But for a person to hear that something physical and physiological is wrong with them, that's usually music to their ears. If they've been told for a long time, oh, no, you're just nuts. You're just crazy. You know, and it's interesting, too, because in reading your book, you talked about post-traumatic stress disorder and the nightmares that are associated with post-traumatic stress disorder, which is one of very common symptoms of PTSD. And you talk about image rehearsal therapy and in essence, helping that person unlearn those nightmares as well. So I think between that, which is one of the common symptoms coupled with PTSD, as well as the sleep disturbances, which in part of they get up from the nightmares, whatever it is. Right. Um, what are the success rates in treating both the sleep disorder, that whatever's the physical cause of the sleep disturbance and the IRT? Well, it's, it's funny you ask the question that way because most people never think to ask it that way. We know from our research, and this is this is not published research, this is just clinical experience, and worldwide people know this, that IRT still works when people have sleep apnea, which is remarkable, but it really does work as an imagery, you know, changing process. So the human mind is capable of making that and actually getting benefit. What's proven more fascinating over the last 20 years is that we now know, and there's about nine research papers in the scientific literature today, showing that if you treat sleep apnea, your nightmares get better. So nine different research papers out there, all showing the same thing, using a CPAP machine will make that better. And coming back to your point about post-traumatic stress, what we're getting at here is, yes, there are psychological components, for example, nightmares and insomnia. But all of this is like top heavy with sleep disorders, nightmares, insomnia, sleep disorder, breathing. Many PTSD patients have restless legs and leg jerks. So, and not to mention your earlier question about circadian rhythm cycles. So all that is going on and not being addressed. It's just not being addressed. People are not saying, well, I see you have these independent disorders. And this goes back to a very interesting paradigm in the DSM. If you follow the DSM through the years, eventually, By the time they got the DSM-4-TR, they began writing how sleep disorders might actually be independent, even though most of the papers published all the way up to, say, 2010, if not to the present, still talk about sleep 
as if it's a disturbance. And what does that mean? Well, if it's a disturbance, that means it's a secondary problem. It's not the primary problem. Oh, so just keep giving drugs. And what we've been preaching now for quite a while is, no, these are independent, primary, co-occurring, comorbid conditions. And you have got to pick and target each one. Nightmares, insomnia, sleep apnea, restless legs, leg jerks. And this is why I say psychiatry and psychology are coming to a crossroads, because they have to be able to say, well, wait a second, if we're missing this, are we just going to send them over to sleep doctors? Why don't we do it? You know, here's a very interesting paradigm to consider. The single biggest group of doctors in the world who are embracing this comorbidity model, model is cardiologists. Cardiologists are now advancing their own sleep medicine programs inside of cardiology. What we're doing here at Gateway Behavioral Health is we're training psychiatry residents to stop picking up the prescription pad and looking at their patient's throat and finding out, hey, you know what? That's a crowded throat. Let's talk some more about what's going on with your symptoms. They're going to be coming out into practice. And eventually, I believe psychiatry residency training programs all over the country are going to be forced to adopt this. And if they don't, I think it's going to create huge problems in the field of mental health. Is this yeah. a purely American problem or is this mm-hmm. kind of? Absolutely global, all over. So I just did... did I just did three Zoom training seminars for mental health professionals in Israel. They're obviously dealing with tons of PTSD, nightmares, and insomnia. And this was brand new. Again, brand new that when I talked about the nightmares, we talked about IRT. When we talked about insomnia, we talked about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and emotional processing techniques. And then when we talked about sleep quality and sleep fragmentation and sleep disordered breathing was like, wow, you're saying like all of these patients could be having this problem? Not all, but when people don't recover, when they're not doing well with their PTSD treatment, it's a huge red flag that something physical is going on. Yeah, no, we, we, we've been talking and I think a few times all of us mentioned that or realized that these patients, I'm going to speak for the, the bulk that get what we call resistant insomnia. They they get bounced around from specialist to specialist. In my experience, I'm sure Dimitri has had the same experience. We often see patients that have tried, and they, they tell you, I've seen excellent amount of number of sleep specialists. I've seen other doctors, and then they all say, go to psychiatrists. Then we work with them for a few weeks and months, right. and, we, and we say, we can help you go back to a sleep specialist. And then there's one diagnosis I've I've, I've, I've come across and I, I don't know how to tell a patient without them being a little bit uh, disconcerted and is uh, the so-called um, sleep misperception or now it's called, oh, I guess it, it, it evolved right. to parasol insomnia, meaning right. basically you're telling the patient that we've done testing, your sleep apnea test has no objective findings for your insomnia right. Right. and it's it's, it's, like, it's mostly that you've been dependent on medication. So how, yeah. how, how do you explain your patients that they, they are sleeping but they don't know if they're not sleeping? Right. So this, this, is, a, this is a great uh, set of circumstances you've just set the table with, because this is the problem you're describing. You, 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 may, you may not even know how big the problem is that you just described, because you brought up so many different things showing how the system is broken. First of all, most people who are sleep doctors that try to test for some of these different things, who would come up with a diagnosis of sleep state misperception, 
the chances are 90% they're wrong, absolutely wrong. And why is that? Because what's happening, and I've seen tons of people who have been either labeled that way or told, well, you know, it's just in your head and all that. What's happening is when you have really bad sleep fragmentation, you're going in and out of stage one sleep constantly through much of the night. Well, I could take any person in this room that we're talking in right now, you could take any of your patients. If you fragment their sleep that way, you're going to start saying, I didn't sleep last night. Well, oh, I'm sorry. I've got an EEG here. It says you slept last night. That's bogus. It's absolutely bogus. So that person does have a perception of very broken sleep. And they have learned for unfortunate reasons, maybe because of anxiety sensitivity, that would be a good explanation to interpret it that they're not sleeping. Well, they're not sleeping well. So give them credit and let's go find a better sleep doctor who actually knows how to understand why that sleep is fragmented. And you probably have heard from some sleep tester, you know, specialist, oh, they just had some spontaneous arousals. They just wake up for some reason. We don't really know what it is. Sleep doctors have been doing this for decades. The predominant sleep doctor is what? A pulmonologist. They're not uh-huh. necessarily interested in this paradigm. And Dr. Gimeno figured this out with a condition called upper airway resistance syndrome, which is a variation of sleep apnea. It's much more subtle. It's much more difficult to detect. Only about one out of three sleep doctors are interested in looking for this subtle breathing condition and diagnosing it. So when you describe, Steph, that kind of set of encounters, that's incredibly common. And these people are horribly frustrated. They go, I went to the sleep doctor and this doctor said, uh, well, you don't even need a test. That's number one. They still do that. Oh, no, you don't even need a test. Then when they do the test, they go, oh, it, you may have some mild sleep apnea. You're fine. Go away. Don't sleep on your back. It, it, it's a horrible, horrible thing that is going on because these people have these conditions that have a physical explanation. And it is the responsibility of the sleep doctor to say, look, I'm not exactly sure how bad your mild sleep apnea is because the truth of the matter is sleep medicine isn't very good at measuring sleep disordered breathing. Those metrics are not very reliable. And so what you find in the better sleep doctors is something very simple. They go, you know what? You deserve a chance to try a pap machine. Let's have you try a pap machine and see what you feel. Because if you start to feel better, then we know we've hit the jackpot And this is a really important issue for you with one caveat. And that big caveat is that so many people fail CPAP. And so that's why we switched 20 years ago. And we only put our patients on these more advanced PAP machines called bi-level, auto-bi-level ASV, which people are able to use and actually have good outcomes. What's the difference between uh, upper airway respiratory syndrome and sleep apnea? So in sleep apnea we think of the concept of breathing event type. So if you stop breathing, that's pretty obvious. (laughs) So you call that sleep apnea, your oxygen drops big time. The second category is called the hypopnea, where you probably lose about 50% of the volume of your breath. So that's still, you know, very important and can also be associated with oxygen changes. But what Dr. Gimeno discovered years ago, he first discovered in 82, with children, and then again in 91 with adults, is that you can lose between 10 and 25% of volume of your breath, and that will trigger an arousal in your brain. 
Not only that, he proved that that condition alone leads to high blood pressure and it leads to trips to the bathroom at night. So all sleep apnea patients are at risk for high blood pressure and all sleep apnea patients are at risk for having excessive trips to the bathroom at night. So he discovered this and this very subtle breathing event is the one that only about one out of three sleep doctors seems to be interested in. And so when you're sending patients to sleep specialists, you want to ask the question, so do you diagnose upper airway resistance syndrome? Do you treat upper airway resistance? Because in our clinical experience, most of our patients, the, the vast majority, have some apneas and hypopneas, and then they have a lot more of these upper airway resistance events. The combination of the two usually makes these people have moderate to severe sleep disordered breathing. And that's, I think, why it's such a big deal. You mentioned uh, the urination thing, and you I listened to your TED talk on that, and you said that obstructive sleep apnea can cause urination. Um, I wanted to show you something. Um, do you know who Andrew Huberman is? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's a neuroscientist at Stanford, sure. an associate professor. Sure. He has a podcast. Right. I don't know if you listened to that or anything like that. I saw his recent podcast a couple of months ago about nocturia, and he did not explain the relationship unless you know of another podcast. No, but actually, I, I want to play that because you, you're talking exactly about that. But um, he has a five-minute clip on that. I cut it down to about two and a half minutes. You've probably seen it, but I want to play it for the audience. Um, and then I want you to give your take on it, okay? You need about eight ounces or 240 milliliters of fluid per hour for the first 10 hours of your day after waking. Now, why did I say for the first 10 hours? Well, it turns out that the filtration of fluids from your body, which is accomplished, of course, by your kidneys and by way of your bladder and the excretion of fluid out your urethra, so-called urination, is strongly, strongly circadian dependent. And we can make all of this very simple by simply stating what's contained in this beautiful review that I'll provide a link to if you want to learn more called Circadian Rhythms in the Kidney. And basically what is known is that for the first 10 hours after waking, your kidney is filtering fluid within your body at a very rapid rate. However, at about 10 hours after waking, your kidney really starts to reduce its overall level of functioning. Now that doesn't mean that your kidney cannot filter fluid. 11 or 12 or 16 hours after waking, but it becomes far less efficient at doing so. And thank goodness it does because you do not want your kidney filtering fluid at the same rate at midnight that it was filtering fluid at 10 a.m. In fact, we can say that if you want to reduce your nighttime waking in order to urinate, and there I say, it's perfectly normal to wake up once, maybe twice each night to urinate, but if you want to reduce the number of times that you wake up in order to urinate across the night, maybe even make that number zero times, you will greatly benefit by doing three things. First of all, make sure that you're hydrating sufficiently during the daytime. That will ensure that you are not excessively thirsty in the evening and therefore consuming a lot more fluid. Second, and related to that first point, is that you do want to reduce your fluid intake at night provided you hydrated sufficiently throughout the day. And believe it or not, the rate at which fluid moves from your gut and into the cells and tissues of your body and then from your bladder into urine is determined not just by the volume of fluid you ingest, but also the rate 
at which you ingest that fluid. So here's what I recommend. Throughout the day when you're trying to get your adequate yield of water or other beverages, feel free to gulp that fluid or sip it. In the evening, if you are somebody who has challenges with waking up excessively in the middle of the night, reduce your fluid intake, provided you've hydrated properly throughout the day. And I suggest consuming no more than five, maybe eight ounces of fluid between the time of 10 hours after waking and when you go to sleep. So what do you make of that? There's points there that may be accurate, but this is not a complete story. So let me ask you this question. If I put somebody on a pap machine who is urinating four times a night or twice a night or once a night, and they report after a week or two, they no longer have trips to the bathroom. What then is normal trips to the bathroom? The scientific literature, unfortunately, and the lay media, unfortunately, continue to believe that one to two trips to the bathroom at night is normal. Sleep medicine argues differently because we have a pathophysiology far more advanced than what was described there to explain why you wake up to pee. Um, this also doesn't explain why I actually would prefer to be hydrated during the night. And so in my own experimentation, I can drink as much as 32 ounces of fluid within one hour of going to sleep and not wake up to pee. And so this pathophysiology that he did not mention, I believe, would be a more complete picture to draw. And it's very specific. You know, when you have increased chest cavity pressure, uh, increasingly negative uh, intrathoracic pressure because you're trying to breathe from sleep apnea, you're pushing too much blood too rapidly into the right atrium. And the right atrium, either figuratively or literally, is distending because it feels there is excess blood, excess flow. The right atrium of the heart has its own diuretic, ANP, atrial natriuretic peptide. Studies have been done proving all of this. The, the, the diuretic, the amount of urine, all of this stuff has been proven over 30 years ago. So what does that diuretic do? It goes to the kidneys during the night and you start waking up to pee more times. What does sleep apnea treatment do? You could do a dental device. You could do a pap machine. I actually know some people who've used nasal strips and said they've had some reduction in their trips to the bathroom. So that pathophysiology is completely reversed. You do no longer have the chest cavity pressure building up, pushing excess blood into the right atrium. So the right atrium does not release a diuretic. It's, it's astonishing how many sleep doctors know this and how many other doctors don't. Some urologists are beginning to catch on. Um, some cardiologists definitely are catching on. But it's very common for people to be espousing this idea that one to two trips to the bathroom at night is normal. And I would say, okay, well, if it's normal, what would you say if it went away by using a pap machine? Would you still say the one to two is normal? Or would you say, hey, I think normal might be zero and I like zero. <laughs> but if it's been 30 years now, why why, why isn't anybody recommending this? Shouldn't exactly. everybody be on a pap machine then? Well, that's its own interesting question. Like the rate of sleep disordered breathing in society 
is getting worse for lots of different reasons. One would be not surprising if you say that weight is obesity, increasing, right? But but obesity doesn't cause sleep apnea. People are very confused by that. Sleep apnea, I'm sorry, obesity worsens sleep apnea. The cause of sleep apnea is where you breathe. It's your throat. And so if you look at facial structures and the way people are growing their heads, so to speak, whether they're breastfed or not breastfed, whether they're malnourished or not malnourished, we're probably seeing a lot of changes in head craniofacial structure that then create risks for having more narrow airways. And so that's why, in part, we're having a bit of an epidemic of sleep disordered breathing. Hang on a second. Are you saying we're evolving to sleep apnea? It appears that the way, let's put it like this. That's if a hot you, take. Oh yeah. If you, if you say that the longer you, you know, the, the longer you keep people alive, are they going to get more diseases? Everybody would agree with that. Nobody's saying, oh yeah, that's right. not a surprise. This may fit into that pattern. I don't know, but we do know that craniofacial, it seems, there's many people who've written about this even 20, 30 years ago. Dentists, oral surgeons um, have written about this exact topic that facial structures seem to be changing and that that could be creating a big risk for sleep disordered breathing in the population, especially Western civilization. But but we're, but OSA comes about when you're young too, so it's not an elderly disease. It's a disease of all age groups. Correct. So it doesn't not... mean it doesn't mean that you just get it when you're a kid and then that's it. You could absolutely not have it as a child or a teenager and get it later for a number of reasons. What if the airway muscles in your throat weaken for some reason? That could be aging. What if they weaken because you put too much pressure on your neck because you've gained too much weight? What if there's something to do with fitness? And that has to do with the way your muscle integrity, again, in your airway is maintained. So it's not just an evolutionary thing. It's a societal difference, the way we exercise, the way we eat, the way it, we sit on the couch too much. It, it, could, it, it, it could be. But the big one I'm getting at is that if your airway structure is such that you were cursed as opposed to blessed when you were born – and you don't develop that airway structure to expand the uh, upper airway. And uh, that is an absolute risk for getting sleep disorder breathing. That doesn't mean there can't be somebody who has a narrow airway that doesn't get sleep apnea. We're not saying it's a one-to-one -one correlation, but there are so many children, for example, think about all these babies who have sleep problems and everybody thinks it's behavioral. And they think, oh, my kid just won't settle. Why would a six-month-old settle if they can't breathe? They're tossing and turning and getting up because they can't deal with this. They don't have a conscious awareness of it. They're struggling to actually breathe better. So they're turning around. They're flopping around. They're trying to figure out what they can do to breathe. And we're looking at them like, oh, well, you've got this behavioral problem. Oh, you're co-parenting. You're, I mean, you're co-sleeping. You're, you're doing all this stuff. I mean, again, this physical factor is a it's the, what do you call it? It's the gorilla in the room. It's the 800 pound gorilla. It is diabolically involved in so many aspects of healthcare. It it's 
it appears unbelievable. Yeah. But and you, bring, you bring something interesting up too about children and sleep and the six month old not settling. And we see, you know, we hear about children older than six months, obviously, two, three, four elementary school age children having sleep disturbances as well, where their parents say they won't go to sleep, they won't settle down. Um, I can't get them to sleep at night. What is your take on the role of things like electronics and children sitting there on their iPads for hours, let's say, or playing video games before they're going to bed? How does, in your research or in your experience, how does that affect? Right. It, it's, a, it's a highly relevant factor, but it's also a red herring. It also comes back to, and you know, I love the word because I learned this in psychiatry, perseverating. I'm going to perseverate on you know, physiological sleep disturbances. Why is that kid looking at the screen? It's not just to be entertained. It's that they can't settle. And they're going to go, well, I can't settle my mind. Okay, now here's a big one that we published years ago. It's called the Respiratory Threat Matrix of Chronic Insomnia. And we have no way to prove this because I don't think, I don't know if there is a way to prove it, but we've asked so many patients about this phenomena and they've all said the exact same thing. So I'll just spell it out. We have seen patients with insomnia, with racing thoughts, troubled mind, can't turn off the engine, They got no other treatment but what? A pap machine. They started using a pap machine and suddenly they didn't have racing thoughts. How is that possible? And I think the answer is the racing thoughts were used to keep the person awake. Why? Because even if you lose 10 or 25% of your air volume, that's 10 to 25% of mini suffocation occurring hundreds of times during the night. Why would anybody in their right mind go to sleep? Sleep is stupid. Stay awake. Stay awake and you won't choke. Stay awake and you won't suffocate. So I'm glad we're talking about wake and, and, and racing thought. It seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, yeah, I don't I don't know how long we've been studying this, this side of things, but it seems to me the mm-hmm. new advent medications that are on the market, the, the fancier names attack the orexin um you know uh, right. uh, uh physiology. And they talk about suppressing the wakefulness instead of focusing so much on sleep, um sleep architecture, if you will. In your experience, in your research, how much is involved into the sleeping schedule um, when we focus more, more, a little bit more, let's say, on wakefulness, shutting down the that that wakefulness of the brain, for so to speak. It's a very important area, and I, I agree with your your thesis that you know if if you if you look at the problem that way instead of I'm putting you to sleep, I'm I'm helping you lower your level of alertness, but. Again, because I like to, you know, play the role of a psychiatrist, even though I'm not one. I have delved into this in so many different ways. And the way I first learned about this, even before I got into the whole physiology part, was that there are very advanced emotional processing techniques 
that you can train a patient in that will absolutely dissipate racing thoughts. Because what are racing thoughts? Racing thoughts are unfinished business. And what is unfinished business? Unfinished business is the emotional residue from the day that you never really spent the quality time you needed to, to work through the problem and get to at least some little bit of closure. And that is the good news, by the way, about emotional processing and treating insomnia. It's not like you have to go through, uh, what's it called, uh, abreaction and catharsis to get there. But, but you do learn to tamp down some of your racing thoughts by working on your emotions. And when you explain this to people, they go, well, uh, some people have been doing it so long, they don't know what emotions are. Many insomniacs live up here in their head. And they have a very difficult time understanding the concept. But once you work with them and they learn that their anxiety, their depression at times are really covers for deeper emotions like anger, shame, embarrassment, guilt, and so forth. And they begin to work on that. Then their mind starts to slow down more because they are working in their heart, learning to listen to their heart. And that process, you know, treats racing thoughts. So, I purposely went down that pathway for you because I rarely, if ever, prescribe a pill for somebody to go to sleep. It's more people are coming to me saying, doctor, can you help me get off these pills? And I say, yes, I can. I actually have a coaching service at my website, barrycracomd.com, and I help people with that. But I explain very candidly, once you're on these pills, you can't just get off of them quickly. You've really got to work through various steps. And of course, the great news for the large majority, if they're diagnosed with sleep apnea and they can get on a treatment for sleep apnea, that's going to make getting off a sleeping pill so much easier and a shorter time span compared to somebody who's just trying to do cold turkey and drive themselves nuts. All right, Dr. Krakow, we're never going to get to every question, so we're going to have to get you out on these last two. Sure. Um, in your book, you do go into the business of PAP machines and insurances, and as someone who's gone on many insurance and medical business rants, <laughs> um, I'm going to give you the platform to go on a rant here on, uh, if you'd like, on how these uh, insurances uh, kneecap doctors and patients when it comes to PAP machines, if you want to. That's a, great, that's a great question because, again, it, it's, it's a big part of the problem. You all are at a place, I'm sure, just as almost every psychiatrist and psychologist I've met over the last decade, you've been at a place where you've heard about people not having a good experience with a DME company for their CPAP, not having a good experience with a sleep center. Then you heard about how the insurance company got involved and said, well, they're taking the PAP machine away. This is absolutely a bureaucratic nightmare. And there is no easy answer to it because everybody listens to Medicare and Medicare creates these rules about you've got to use your machine X number of days for X number of hours. And, you know, that is highly relevant to many patients who have that capacity. But when you're talking about mental health patients and you're saying, here, slap this thing on your face. I don't care about your claustrophobia. I don't care about your panic attacks. Oh, do you have claustrophobia? You have panic? Oh, well, I mean, this is a huge issue. And the insurance companies, they're not paying attention to that. And so what happens is we say, 
we're going to gradually introduce this person to PAP. So that's the secret that sleep doctors have learned in working with people who have these problems like claustrophobia and panic. And usually you can negotiate with the insurance companies to let the time drag on for a long time if the sleep doctor knows how to do that. So there is that caveat. You can make it go on for a long period of time. The sad part is that the insurance companies and many sleep doctors think that CPAP, which is continuous pressure, works for everybody when in fact that's not true. And the bi-level devices that give different pressures, breathe in higher, breathe out lower, you end up with a much more comfortable experience. And that's why people adapt and use it. So that would be my insurance rant. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to get you out on this one. You've worked with internists. You've worked with sleep doctors. You work with psychiatrists. Be honest. The psychiatrists are much more fun, right? That, that, that's the truth. There is no question. There is no question <laughs> working with mental health professionals is not only more fun, but I have to say that over the years, you all have been the one that have been interested in sleep. So it mm -hmm. surprised me that it hasn't taken off faster in the field of internal medicine, family medicine, primary care. It's more like, okay, send them to the sleep doctors and so forth. But you guys have so much interest in sleep even if you know the training you got wasn't as complete as I would have liked to have seen. But it is no question that it's been so much more engaging. And I'm hoping one day when I'm like 120, I'll get that honorary degree and they'll say, no, oh, this guy's a real psychiatrist. No, no, no. We're doing it now. No, no, no. Right now. We're doing it. We're bestowing upon I'm you. Storing. Dr. Barry Krakow, the Psych Effect podcast has bestowed upon you an honorary degree. <laughs> A board, an honorary board certification from the Psych Effect podcast as a psychiatrist. Where, 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 where's, wait, wait, where's my plaque? Need a plaque, man. It, it's come, it's right here. It's going to be on the screen. We're going to put it on the screen. Your plaque. That's right. We're going to, we're going to screw. We're going to put it on the screen here for you on YouTube. And um, we, we, there's no way we're going to get to all the questions. We're going to have to have you back at some point. We're with um, to talk more sweet because this is a, this, uh, I, I don't, I think, Big topic. I mean, I, you know, I see so many people a week and I think probably 80% of them have a sleep complaint of some, of some problem. So yep. we're going to have to bring you back. I hope we can consider you a friend of the show Absolutely. and uh, thank you very much for coming thank on. Thank you so much. And thank you for your uh, time. we will, uh, we will have you back on the show. Thank you again. Have a good day. All right. You too. Bye. health tip of the daytime day full of hiccups need a shake up listen up it's the psych effect podcast mental health tip of the day maybe today or one day brought to us by the hard rock casino no maybe, maybe. Uh, maria's off by the way at the hard rock casino hi butler hi butler hey. because hey, buddy. Because but she's, she's on fire at the craps table. She's a hot the, roller. The, exactly. The mental health topic day is brought to you today by this guy, Butler. Yeah. <laughs> Butler, that's right. And he basically, guys, <laughs> told me that this morning, when you have any issues in life, like you're, you're having a bad day, you, you know, you're fighting with your spouses or your kids are driving in us or you have to sign a, a contract tomorrow. You're overwhelming. You're, you're overwhelming. You know, your, your brain is going crazy. Just sleep on it. Just sleep on it. You know, 
put it on the, on the shelf, put it on ice, take a good rest, you know, sleep good eight, nine hours, wake up tomorrow, fresh, fresh eyes, fresh thought, and go back to the thinking. And then you'll probably bring up better solutions for your issues. Unplug from those electronics. The work emails can wait. Listen to Unplug the from the electronics is the best advice you could possibly get is just put the phone down put the phone down put it down there's in there's there's absolutely nothing that can't wait until the next day right so uh, sleep on it is is more like just put the phone down just put it down so yeah anyway uh barry krakow was great think that Maria's Super Bowl uh, post-game show was um, hilarious. I don't think she... Uh, <laughs> she tried hard. She better tried hard. Than that. She tried. She tried. <laughs> she tried. Uh, anyway, uh, you know the drill. Like, follow, subscribe, and leave reviews, please. Yeah. Apple, yeah. Spotify, on those apps. And uh, on YouTube too. When you watch on YouTube, yes. uh, comment down below with uh, what you want to hear and, and uh, on our show. And we will see you in the next one. See Bye, you. everyone. Good luck to Dimitri. Go get some good sleep. The previous podcast is for general informational purposes only and represented the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan DeGraff, Dr. Suzanne Mignon, and the guests. It does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services and should not be taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.